So tonight, as we continue in preparing our hearts and preparing our minds for this call that God has put upon our lives, we've been in this this season that we began last month on on preparation. And so if you think about it, preparation is really a theme that you see throughout the whole Bible. I mean, if you think even in the Old Testament with Moses, he spent 40 years exiled in Midian before he saw a burning bush where God appeared to him and God gave him his call on what the rest of his life would look like for his last 40 years of life. But he spent 40 years in Egypt, 40 years basically in exile in preparation where God was shaping Moses and forming him for the next 40 years, which would be him leading the Israelites out of slavery and then into the cusp of the promised land, which he didn't do that, but Joshua did. So again, but he had 40 years of preparation in Midian. You also had David before he was King David. He was taking care of his father, Jesse's sheep. And it says that whenever there will be a wild animal like a bear or a lion, that David would kill those those animals that were attacking the sheep. So can you just imagine this this young David with his slingshot and day after day out there and just in, in, in the woods and and just practicing with his slingshots. Okay, I'm going to hit that tree 30 feet away and then, oh, I missed it. So then trying again and just practicing and then thinking, okay, I have to hit it five times in a row before I can, I can go take a water break. Now I can just totally picture David on practicing every day with this slingshot. And then whenever the lion or the bear would come, he was ready because he had prepared. He was practicing. And so then when Goliath appears, he was ready. There was no concern. He knew who God was. So he was rooted in the word and he was worshiping God and he had practiced with his slingshot. And so all that preparation led him to defeat Goliath and then to lead Israel to its glory years, which was with a peace and secured borders. And so that was preparation. And if you want to go to the New Testament, you have the Apostle Paul. Jesus appears to him and he is now called to be an apostle. But according to Galatians 1, before he went to Jerusalem to meet the other leaders who were the apostles like Peter and the other apostles, before he went there, it says that he went away to Arabia. We don't know exactly where or exactly what he did, but what we do know is that this was a preparation time for him. I mean, from what my best guess is that he was pouring over the Bible, which at the time was just the Old Testament, but probably just reading the Bible and praying and being in, in Christ's presence and learning from the Spirit is is what Paul did for three years of preparation before he wrote half the New Testament and planted churches across uh, Europe and Turkey. So it was a preparation time. And so in a similar way, now this won't be a 40-year preparation. It won't even be a three-year preparation. It's more like a seven-month preparation. I was talking to Karen Francis before we started here 10 minutes ago, and she was sharing. She was like, man, I, I need to go to seminary and get a degree so that I can be ready to help this launch team. And I was like, no, you don't, sister. You don't have to spend three years preparing for sem- in seminary. That won't even help you as much as you think it will. Um, and I did go to seminary, so I can say that. Um, but so did, so did um, Nathan. So it's not just me in the room with seminary. And so did Colton. So the, the list goes on. Um, but anyway... 
My point is, you don't need three years, and you don't need seminary. What All you really need is the Word of God, and you need His Spirit. If you have that, you have all that you need. If you have the Word, and you have the truth, like we saw that last week, Word and truth, then you have everything that you need. And so what we're trying to do in this preparation phase with the launch team is to just get you to understand that you right now already have the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. He is with you. And He can lead you and lead us together. And we have the Word. And so my heart has just been that we will just dig deep into His Word. And so I don't apologize for somewhat going long. Um, come in January, we're going to have less time, so I can't go very long in January. So I, I can go long, so I am kind of <laughs> going long Sunday nights because we can. And you can go apply it in your home groups. But this, to me, is a very special time. And I look forward to, I don't know, months or even years from now, sitting around the table with a meal or a coffee with, with several of you and maybe individually or together and saying, you remember when? You remember when we were meeting in Nathan's house and it was packed? Or you remember when we were in, in Karen's house and it was packed? Or, or, or the Jeffers' house? Do you remember when? When, when y'all were first leading worship, Tristan? Or do you remember when we were in that, in that room there in the 702 house? Oh yeah, I remember that. We were planting seeds in fertile soil, trusting God to do amazing things. Now look at what God has done through a renewal church. And so that's where we're headed. And, and so this preparation time is to me very dear and very special. And we're preparing for what God has for us to do to spread God's renewal to Bill County, and by His grace, through His Spirit, even to the world. So this is an important season. So if there's anyone that you see that is not here, that's in your home group, I encourage you, reach out to them. And say, hey, man, we missed you. Man, you're missed when you're not there on Sunday nights or in our home group. And so last week, we were talking about our vision and mission in action. So we talked about our strategy and how we have a gospel-centered strategy. And so we talked about the first components, if you will, the first elements of our strategy of the four being worship, which worship is the end of and also the fuel for this mission Jesus gave to us. We also saw how Acts chapter 2, verse 42, is the foundation. It's actually not the only place. Look at this next week as well. But the Great Commission also has these four components of our strategy. So this is not unique to this one text. But we're looking at Acts 2, 42 through 47. And I'll read that to you again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word think that we read it and as we read it father our hearts are stirred and gripped by your spirit 
you know, these are your words that you wrote them and you inspired them and you've given it to us that we can know you. And the goal of the Bible and the goal of our studying, the goal of our preparation is not greater education. The goal of our studying the word is not knowledge. The goal is knowing you. The goal is being in awe of you and treasuring you and enjoying you and just you, Jesus. You are the goal. You are the prize. You are our hope. You are our purpose. You are everything. So we ask that you would just bless this time as we've been sharing that it is such a special season that you've given to us as a launch team. So we ask for your spirit's empowering and leadership for your leading, for your spirit to illuminate the truths of your word and that we would be gripped by it and respond with lives of greater worship and devotion to you. And we pray for your anointing in the name of our King, Jesus. Amen. So you see here the, the context for this mission here in Acts 2. So we're talking tonight about community. So we talked about worship. And then number two, the second component of our strategy is community. So we're talking about how we're going to accomplish our vision and our mission. So it's great to know where you're going and why you're going there, vision and mission. But how are you going to get there? What are the steps? What is your strategy? Well, that's what we're talking about. So last we talked about worship tonight, community. So community is the second part of our strategy. And you see this right here in Acts 2. So verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to what? The fellowship. And so they had Fellowship. You see it in verse 44. All who believed were individuals, right? No. It says they were together. And all things in common. So they were sharing their things and sharing their lives. They had it in common. And then verse 46. And day by day. You see that? Day by day. Not once a week. Not a check the box churchianity. It says day by day. Attending the temple. So large formal teaching gatherings, and breaking bread in their homes. So following Jesus individually in homes and smaller groups. And so what you see here is community. So the key word is fellowship. So if we're talking about here the essence of community or the foundation for our community there in your notes, we're talking about fellowship. Now the Greek word for that is koinonia. If you're like, how do you spell that? Don't worry about it, it's not important. But koinonia means fellowship, it means participation or sharing. So it means all of those. So it's a uh, participation or a sharing. And so what it refers to is, is fellowship is participating together in the life and the truth made possible by the Holy Spirit. So it's sharing our lives together for the glory of God. And so the church is this, think of it this way, the church is the fellowship of the Spirit. And so it's God's Spirit that creates our fellowship. We don't create it. Now we'll see in a minute that we have to maintain it, but we don't create it. The Spirit creates our fellowship. Now many of us, and it's understandable, because I'm the same way, we can think of fellowship as being very casual or, or social and always involves food. Right? Because we are Baptists, right? 
even though Renewal won't be a traditional Baptist church, we're still going to be Baptist, so you have to have food whenever we have fellowship. But now fellowship, to be fair, fellowship can take place in, in casual, in, informal settings like a living room or a coffee shop or a game night. And so I'm not saying that those things aren't fellowship, but, but the, the biblical meaning and the significance of fellowship, of this community, is much deeper than just hanging out. So as you've already heard from me, I love Lord of the Rings and J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, I think, he's just awesome. I think Tolkien captures the essence of fellowship when, when he has his first book and, and, of course, movie called Fellowship of the Ring. And so, and he did that on purpose because, because the church is a fellowship of the spirit. And so when he's talking about having a fellowship of the ring, what he's describing is you had a diverse group of people, these nine friends that came together from very different backgrounds. So dwarves and elves and hobbits and men would never hang out in Middle Earth. Like they just didn't hang. You know, the dwarves were underground searching for gold and having all of their parties and the elves are in, in the woods and they're beautiful and they're like these eternal beings and they didn't hang. They weren't friends. And the hobbits were in the shire doing their thing and, and, and the humans were depicted as being selfish, which we are, um, correctly <laughs> depicted in the movie and they're doing their thing and they're not friends and they don't hang out. And yet, Something brought them together into a fellowship. So these were not normal circumstances. Something bigger than themselves brought them together. There was a dark power that had been awakened and that threatened to destroy everything that they knew and everything that they loved was now on the line to be burned by a very evil spirit. And so these nine friends come together committed to destroy the one ring of power by casting it into the fires of Mount Doom and Mordor to defeat Lord Sauron from being embodied. So you chuckle, but it's funny. It's a great movie. But the truth is profound. Fellowship isn't just a game night. Now, it can be. But fellowship is much more like brothers on a battlefield when there are bullets flying overhead and they're not blanks. When they're real bullets and there's a real enemy, there's a real dark evil spirit that wants to destroy everything that we know and love. This is real. And there's a reason why the Bible describes that we're, we're in the battle and it's not against flesh and blood. There's a real battle. There's a real lion who is seeking whom to devour. And so fellowship is much more like brothers that are sweating and bleeding together in the battlefield is a much better picture than two guys hanging out golfing. Like this is what fellowship is. So when you spend time with the brother and you're pouring your heart out with him, and you're praying with him. That's fellowship. When when your sister opens up about serious struggles, and you sit with her, and you cry together, and you pray for God's deliverance and for wisdom together, 
That is fellowship. When you're real with your home group and you share what life is really like behind closed doors, say, guys, man, we're messed up. And we need prayer. And the home group comes around and lays hands on that person and just prays for them. That is fellowship. That is engaging the enemy. That is spiritual warfare. And that is what fellowship is. It's sharing something in common at the deepest possible human level of relationship. It's sharing our experience of God. That's what fellowship is. And it requires great trust. And we live out our purpose together. And we defeat the enemy, and the borders of God's kingdom are expanded. Have you ever stopped to think that Jesus promised to build his church and the gate of Hades would not prevail against it? You know what that means. It doesn't mean that there's two gates that are bounding towards the church. It means that we are storming the gates of Hades that the gates won't be strong enough because we're storming those gates because we have our champion leading the battle and we will infiltrate and defeat the enemy and take back ground that right now is in darkness that belongs to Jesus. It's His blood bought. And so when someone comes to faith in Jesus, we have just taken back ground. And now, now it's claimed for Jesus. Now that person's part of the kingdom of light, no longer in kingdom of dark. And so fellowship involves battling. And so I think we need to kind of refocus our thoughts a little or a lot, maybe, on fellowship is more about encouraging each other to continue following Jesus and fighting a good fight, more so than just hanging out. It's profound. It's truly life-changing. Let's look at this more deeply from Ephesians 4. I could tell you about it, but I want to show you from the Bible. So Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6, describes fellowship as the foundation of our community. So Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I therefore, a, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in the manner worthy of the calling which, which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Such a profound text. This reveals the foundation for our community, and there's two realities. So we're taking notes, and I'll put their foundation for our community, and there's two, two realities. Number one, it's the gospel. So our community, our fellowship is founded on the bedrock of the gospel. So our, our community is rooted in or anchored into the gospel. So it says here in verse 1, that you have been called. So you, in case you weren't aware, newsflash, you did not find Jesus all by yourself. Jesus wasn't lost. Okay? You didn't find him. He found you. You were the one that was lost. I was the, that sheep that had strayed and he left 
than the nine to come and get the one sheep. And so let's just be clear on this. He found me and he found you and he called you to experience salvation. And so our redemption being renewed here is described as you being called from God. So he took the initiative to open your eyes so that you could see your sin and then see the glory of Jesus with his work on the cross and then respond with faith and repentance. So we see our desperate need for a savior made possible by his spirit and then we are simply the ones responding. So whenever you say to Jesus, I love you, understand that he said it first. So you're saying, I love you too. He started this. He loved you. He called you. He he pursued you. And then he purchased you. Which is why Ephesians 1.18, same book, just earlier in the book, 118 says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So the eyes of your heart were opened and given light. He says that you may know what is the hope to which he, God, has called you. So our eyes are open and then we respond to him. And so the gospel call is God being gracious and merciful to us because we don't deserve it. So when someone submits to Jesus, they're responding to his call. And from the inside out, that person is transformed by the Spirit. Like we've talked about, they're made new. And so we live, he says, we walk in the manner worthy of the calling. That's verse 1 that we just read. So he, like we talked about here recently on our vision and our mission, that we will exist so that people will be made new in Jesus and then grow and Jesus, and then really sent to the world for Jesus. So this whole being made new by the Spirit, like we looked at from the Valley of Dry Bones, how we're resurrected, so that we can live a manner worthy of the calling. So what does it look like? Like, what does it look like for someone to live in a manner worthy of the calling? Now, if you were to guess, a lot of people in very traditional churches, which we're all members of here at First Baptist. The average person, if you ask them, hey, what does it look like to live in a manner worthy of your calling? Like just practically, they might say things like, oh, you, you need to go to church. Which, first of all, don't ever say that. <laughs> because you don't go to church. Church is the people. So you go to worship gathering. But I digress. But they might say, um, you, you have to go to church and you have to go to Sunday school and you have to know a lot about the Bible and you have to have a lot of knowledge. And they might have these kinds of answers revolving around the idea of education or attending religious activities. But if you look at what it says in Ephesians 2, and it says, here's what it looks like. He doesn't mention education, by the way. What does he say in verse 2? With humility and gentleness and patience and bearing one another in love, eager to maintain unity of the spirit and bond of peace. Huh. Isn't that interesting? He mentions relationship. It's all relational terms. And so all of our learning and our growth should lead to, should be manifested in relational life, in loving 
people. And so the the gospel, when it changes us, it changes how we relate to other people. That's what you're seeing, verses 2 and 3. So things like love and humility and gentleness and patience. These are the fruits of the Spirit. So, ever met someone who says, oh, I love Jesus or I'm a Christian, I just don't like church. Ever met someone like that? Ever? Yeah? A lot, a lot of head nods. Um, look, I don't want to pass judgment. I'm just going to see what the, what the Bible says, okay? I'm just, here's what it says. I'm just a messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. It says that this is the unity of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit does. He gives us a love for the brothers and the sisters. He gives us a love for the people of God. Eager to love, it says, and be patient. So if someone says, no, I I don't like church, what they're saying is, I don't like God's people. What they're saying is, "I, I don't have humility and gentleness and I don't bear each other with love. And I, I'm not eager to maintain unity in the Spirit. So it just begs the question, doesn't it? Do you have the Spirit? Do you have the Spirit? Because the Spirit does this. And you don't care about God's people. The question has to be asked. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Because this is, this is what it looks like to love Jesus. Is you love his people. This, he creates in us this undeniable passion to spend time with the people of God. To have this fellowship because we share something. We share something deep. It's bigger than ourselves. It's eternal. Made possible by the gospel. And what we share is so profound. We share the gospel. Saved by the same gospel. We love the same gospel. We believe the same gospel. We, we want to share that same gospel. We want the lost to embrace this same gospel. And so what, what binds us when we have different backgrounds and just different experiences and personalities and we're all unique, but what binds us together is the gospel. A love for Jesus and his message. And so our community is founded upon this gospel. Spirit makes us new, gives us new hearts, and then he He makes us part of this community, and then we respond with enjoying one another. Second, our community is founded upon the Trinity. So it's founded upon God Him. Self. So upon the, so upon that upon the gospel and the Trinity. So think of it this way, on the person and the work of Jesus. So on the very nature of God and on the work of God is what you see in this text, is what our community is rooted in, on the Trinity. So you have the triune God. In verse 4, it describes who? There is one spirit, right? Verse 5, he talks about the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have Spirit in verse 4, the Lord Jesus in verse 5, and then in verse 6, it refers to who? The Father of all. Oh, interesting. That in the text, talking about community and fellowship and loving each other within the church, he references the gospel, 
and it references the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. What you see in the Trinity is each member, Father, Son, and Spirit, desire to glorify each other. So the Son submits to the Father. And the Father and the Son sent the Spirit. So the Spirit submits to both the Father and the Son. And yet all three are co-equal God. All three are equally glorious. And yet what you see is a esteeming of each other, a loving each other, a desire to exalt one another. So the Spirit points to Jesus. Jesus sends the Spirit. Jesus glorifies the Father. The Father glorifies Jesus. It's like a mutual glorifying and esteeming and loving each other and submitting without rivalry, with no insecurity, with no jealousy, with no gossip. All, all of the junk that marks our relationships doesn't exist in the Trinity. Because the Trinity is the only, hear me, it is the only perfect community in existence. The Trinity is community, and yet it's perfect. And the only one that's perfect. And we have been created to image God, to reflect God. That's what we are. We're created in His image. And so when we reflect who He is in our relationships, we're reflecting His glory. Is this beginning to make sense when I say that our community is rooted in the gospel and in the Trinity. So we share the same Father. We have different backgrounds, but we share the same Father in heaven, and we share the same King Jesus, and we share the same Spirit of God. And so what we share is eternal, and it's soul-satisfying. So He created us, and He has made us new through His Spirit, and He has brought us together as a faith family and he calls us out of the world to be made new and to grow and to be sent back into the world as missionaries and it's jesus himself that binds us so his plan and his purpose and his presence so this is what we're seeing our community is the plan the purpose through the presence of god is what binds us together and we respond to him with communal lives of worship. So can you live like this by just, quote, going to church on Sunday? I'll give you one guess. <laughs> the answer is, heck no. No. It's not possible. You cannot live this out when you just see someone down the hall. Hey, how are you? Oh, you have a good week? Yeah, it was great. Good. Oh, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, bye. And you drive home and... You're not living this out. Yeah, you had a good time, and maybe you heard great teaching. But if you don't have true community, then you're not fulfilling God's purpose for it. So as a faith family, we display His glory when we deeply love each other, when we know each other, and when we are known by each other when we serve each other and here's the hard one especially for the guys in the room here here's a hard one okay receiving acts of service from other people like that's actually really hard for guys um and i'm included i've learned over the years but man when i was younger i 
just my pride. I'll never forget when, when Joshua was born. He had a lot of health problems. He was in the hospital for a long time. And um, the church that we were at in, in, in Louisville brought us meals. And it was the weirdest thing. Like, all of these people that I kind of almost barely knew were coming by to our little apartment. And I was so ashamed because I was so prideful. It was a small apartment. I was a seminary. I was really poor. Um, it was home. I didn't care. But I didn't want no one to see it. It was like weird. I was like, no, this is my one little bedroom apartment. And people were coming in and bringing us food, and I did not like it. I, I was not feeling it. I was like, what are they doing? Like, I got this. I have a job. I can take care of this myself. And I was just really arrogant. And God had to break me of that and realize, no, you are part of a family. You will have the chance to take meals to others when they have sickness. And now it's your turn and you need them to come take care of you and be humble enough to receive my providence through my people. And so we love each other. And so oftentimes it's just our own pride that gets in the way. And we need to just humble ourselves and just receive that. You're part of a family. So if you're here, listen, you're part of a faith family. And so if you don't like that, I don't know how to say it, but there's the door. Like, we want to love you. We want to know you. We want to help take care of you and encourage you and, and be known and release you to be on mission and have your soul satisfied. And if you don't want that, if you, if you don't want to be loved, then this isn't the church for you. Like, I'm just keeping it real. Like, this is what we're going to be about is having true community because it displays God's glory. Let's talk about the enemy of community. This is important. The enemy. Next, you notes. So think back to the Garden of Eden, okay? You had harmony, right? This is heaven, basically. Paradise. Harmony with Adam and Eve, and God was walking in the garden with them. So harmony with man, harmony with God. Perfect. Peace. Shalom. That's what you have. It, it, but then what happened? There was rebellion, right? Adam rebelled against God. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And he basically soiled God's sanctuary. He rebelled against God. And so then what happens? God comes to see his son and daughter to just enjoy their presence. And what, what is Adam doing? Hiding. It says, hiding from the presence of the Lord is what it says in, in Genesis 3. We need to begin to understand sin as the destroyer of community. So I know that we think of sin in individual terms because we're American. Like, I get it. We, we all think this way. But we need to stop it. Like seriously, we need to grow up and stop thinking of sin as very individual because it's not. Sin is very communal. And what sin does is it breaks community. It did between Adam and God and it continues to this day. So people that are far from God don't commune with God. They don't have community or fellowship with God. They're far from God. And so we need to begin to think of redemption as a reclaiming of community, a restoring community. That's what redemption is. And so we're called ministers' reconciliation. Why? What's, what? What does it mean to be reconciled? If a couple is, is fighting and they're going to get a divorce and then they have reconciliation, means they get back together again. They were close, they fell apart, and now they're back close again. 
And so that's what it means. And salvation at its essence is being saved from your sin, yes, but to something. To know God. To community with God. And with His people. And so we didn't think of sin as the devastator, the, the destroyer of community, and redemption as the restore, the renewal of community with God and with others. So this idea of, oh, it's just porn, or oh, it's just this sin, it's just hurting me, I'm not hurting anyone. Wrong! It hurts others. It does hurt you, you're right, but it hurts others too. It hurts your wife, hurts your husband, hurts your kids, hurts your church, it hurts, it hurts people, and it robs God of His glory. Because rather than delighting in Him, you're delighting in that other idol, and so it ultimately hurts you and God. That that relationship. And so we need to understand the reality that connectedness is the key. Because God's purpose has always been to create a gathered people, a worshiping community that displays His glory. So remember in Revelation at the very end, the consummation, you have people of every tribe, nation, and tongue gathered together worshiping God. That's His purpose That's where we're headed. And this right here is just a preview of what's coming. That's what Renewal Church will be. A snapshot, a foretaste, the appetizer, a foreshadowing of what's coming for eternity, saving us to live in His presence. But guys, we see the devastating effects of disconnectedness all around us. I mean, how many people do you see in restaurants and they're just doing this? Like, they're next to each other. And they're on their phones. Like, it's just unbelievable to me. Or, you know what's amazing to me? Um, how the most sought-after YouTube videos, like the most hits for YouTube videos, you know what they are? Watching gamers play video games. Particularly right now, the hot one is Black Ops 4. And, and also Fortnite are like the two biggest ones right now. So millions of people in this country and actually billions, like this is a crazy number of people, every day go on YouTube to look for people that are playing video games. Like they don't even play, they're just watching someone else play video games. And they're just spectators. They're just in awe of watching these gamers play. play. And my kids do it. It's crazy. My two oldest do it too. And I'm just like, what's... I used to play video games. Now they don't play anymore. They just watch others play. And we're spectators. And we bring it with us on a Sunday morning where people show up and they're not singing. They're just standing there, spectating, watching those on the stage. They're worshiping and they're just spectating. They're not participating because we have been conditioned Listen to this. We have been actually conditioned by our culture to be spectators. We watch on our phones, on social media, videos, Instagram. You're just watching. You're just watching. You, and so that's what we do all day long. We're just watching. We're spectators. And, and so then we think that following Jesus is a spectator thing. It's not. We're supposed to participate in worship. Participate with other people and not just spectate. And so we need each 
other. Let me read to you one text. Um, James 5, verse 16. This is such an awesome text. I don't have time to break down the whole context, but I'll read you this one verse. James 5, 16. Therefore, he says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It says, you want to be healed? Confess your sins. And so you want your soul to experience healing? You want deliverance from your bondage? You want strength to follow Jesus? You, you, you want to have your, your heart changed? He says, pray. But he doesn't just say pray by ourself. He says, pray with your brothers and sisters and come clean. Admit your failings. Admit your need. And so what the Bible here is saying is you need transparent, meaningful, vulnerable relationships where people actually know you. Where you take off the mask from Sunday morning that all of us can wear. You know, I think it's so funny when I see Bonnie put on mascara. Because you know what the word in Spanish for mask is? Mascara. <laughs> like that's the word. Mascara in Spanish is mascara. Pronounced in English, mascara. It's mascara. And it means mask. That's what it means. And so makeup is like putting on your mask. It's so funny. And I'm not, I'm not dining women who wear makeup. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm, I'm not saying it's evil. I just, here's my point is we can all in our own ways want to cover up and just lie and pose and be fake. We can all do this. But that doesn't help us. We just cheat ourselves. And, and what we need is this. He says, confess your sins, be honest, let people know you, let people in. And then, and then you're gonna have healing. Then you're gonna have deliverance. Then, then, then you're gonna see victory and defeating the enemy. We battle the enemy together. Now, is this uncomfortable? The answer is yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. And for, for many of us in the room, maybe it's a little bit different. So maybe, I mean, maybe you're thinking, what did I commit to? Like, are you sure this is in the Bible? Are you sure? Yes. Yes. I'm talking about just knowing one another, following Jesus together, living in community. Let, let's talk about that from Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Hebrews 10, 24. These are awesome texts. I'm just kind of glossing over them, but they're so important for us to read together. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You hear that? So to stir one another, to encourage each other to what? Well, to love and to do well, to grow, to live on mission for Jesus, to grow in our, our holiness. And so he says, stirring up in each other to love and good works. He says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. Jesus is coming. He says, in light of Jesus coming, he says, make sure you just show up and check the box on Sunday. Right? <laughs> no, not at all. He says, don't just show up and check the box on Sunday. He says, let people know you. 
so they can encourage you. And the word love is in this text, and so this is not a coming down on you, it's a loving you, and you expressing your love to them so that you can do good works and continue to follow Jesus. It says, be encouraged. But you can't do it alone. We stir each other up to good works. So you cannot live this out on just Sunday morning. It misses the point of community. It's personal, yes, but it's not private. So how many of you here have ever been to Northern California to the Redwood Forest? Have you ever been there? You know what's amazing? I, I've actually not even been there. I want to go there, but I've, I, I've read about these amazing trees that some of these trees are like over 1,500 years. Like these are some ancient trees. And, and you know how tall they are? Like average is like 250 feet. So think like a 25-foot skyscraper, all right? Like that's about how tall they are. I mean, they're just these these amazing, huge trees that are unique to just that one part of the globe. This isn't God's plan. But did you know that their roots are really very shallow? That they go at most four feet deep. Think about it. 250 feet tall. And, and the foundation, so underground, they're going four feet deep. Like you think you have to go well over a hundred plus to have that kind of anchoring to be that tall, but they're not. They have very shallow roots. You think, well, how in the world do these giants stay upright and not topple over? Well, the reason is that they only grow in groves. Sequoias never grow alone because their roots intermingle with each other. And each sequoia holds each other up. So if you had only one sequoia, it would have no chance to stay up. But you get thousands side by side. And all their roots, shallow maybe, but intermingled and locked together. Now you have powerful trees that stay up for millennia and a half. It's displaying the glory of God. No follower of Jesus follows him alone. You can. You can try, but you're going to topple over. And maybe you have tried, and I pray that's what has maybe God used to bring you to this launch team. Let's talk about home groups for a minute. Our time is expiring, and I want to talk about the primary context for how we're going to accomplish this living out community. So a home group is a, so by definition, there in your notes, a mission of community of 8 to 12 people about that share life while following Jesus together. So let's look at this. So it's a missional community. Now we'll look at this in more detail in a couple of weeks when we talk about um, gospel-centered influence. And so we'll talk about that at length in a couple of weeks. But just here briefly, your home group is designed, so by its inception is meant to be a missional community where you will pray for your lost friends, invite your lost friends to your group, and then together be creative and and together reach your neighborhood. And so that's what your home group is meant to be, a multiplying missional community. We talk about sharing life. And so in home groups you're gonna you're gonna serve one another. So a lot of our pastoral care so follow up for those that have been 
um, missing Sunday morning worship gatherings or people that are sick or in the hospital or need encouragement, the primary area for pastoral care will be in home groups. Because if you leave it up to the senior pastor to do all the follow-up or visits, or and it's just one person. And, I'll, and I'll, I'll be busy, but I'm just one person. So if every home group is doing that, how much more can we just multiply the care that happens in our church? And so, again, this is about belonging and having a home, be part of the faith family, where we enjoy each other as we share our lives. And so this means you cry together, but it also means that you celebrate together, all of it together. Following Jesus. We'll look at this in more detail next week. we we'll talk about gospel-centered growth. But following Jesus means reflecting Jesus. So the master becomes like, or the follower becomes like the master. And so following Jesus entails becoming like him. So growing in our holiness. And so a home group provides the environment where you can learn from each other, study the word, and apply it, and really experience growth. And so you cannot change and become what God's calling you to be by yourself. You follow Jesus within your home group. And, and when you're following Jesus within a home group context, it gives you hope, and it gives you the encouragement and the strength to be that man and that woman that God's calling you to be. And, and to be on mission, you, you can't do it alone. And again, all of this is done together. So we press in to one another. So have you ever gone to one of like nicer hotels where, where they have a mirror and it's like that like 20 time like zoomed in mirror and you look in, you're like, wow, it's crazy. Cause it's like, you see all, all, all your pores and you've never seen that? Just me? Really? Well then go to Bed Bath and Beyond because I sell them too. I've not bought one. Cause I don't I don't want to have a like ten or twenty times zoomed in. Well I guess if you're plucking your eyebrows or something, it can be helpful. I guess that's why they sell it. But but as a guy, I look in that mirror and it's like it's like Frankenstein, man. Like seeing my own face. You know, there's the same mug that I look at every single day that I shave and I try to fix my hair and all of but then you, you see it zoomed in and you see like all, all the flaws. And it's like, ah, I don't want to look anymore. And like, put that mirror away. And that's how we are. We don't want others to see our flaws. So keep everyone pushed away. But if you let people get close enough, guess what they're going to see? They're going to see when you have a bad day. They're going to see the attitude or the behavior. The inconsistencies, they're going to see the real you that your wife already sees, that, that your husband already knows, you know, and, but others will see that too. And you think, oh man, that's terrifying. <laughs> well, that's a good thing because we need it. We, we need to press in to each other so that we can hold each other up and have our roots, have our hearts linked and intermingled together. So what's the point of all of this? You're thinking, oh, okay, so you can preach about all of this stuff, but, you, but let's just be honest. Like, this is hard, right? No? Yes. Yes, this is challenging. And I want you to think for a second about your highest of joys. Like those moments when you were like, man, I was so happy in that day or that season. And then also think about your lowest of lows when you were just, Oh man, like rock 
bottom dark or depressed or really struggling. And I can guarantee you, for both of those, your greatest of joys and your most painful of hurts have been in relationship. That's how it is. This is the reality. God has made us to be relational. And we live in a broken world. And so sometimes it is painful. And can I guarantee you that I'm never going to disappoint you? Uh, no. I will disappoint you. Now, I won't do it on purpose, but I will. I'm going to upset you at some point, I'm sure. And not just me, but others in this room or others that will eventually join us will at some point hurt or offend or disappoint or discourage you because we're broken. Because we're still sinners. Yes, saved by grace. Yes, made new, but not glorified yet. So you can't give up. This is worth fighting for. And, and let me tell you why. Romans 15, 7, as we close. Romans 15, 7 tells us the goal of our community. Why are we even doing this? Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We welcome each other as God has welcomed us for His glory. And so we fight for unity and we don't run away and, and we love each other and we press in to each other and we keep it real with each other because we know where we're going. We, we know where we're going to be for eternity, which is a community that's glorifying Jesus forever. And so right now, His fellowship reigns here in our fellowship of His Spirit, where we have harmony and peace and love and righteousness and forgiveness and mercy, and we extend grace to each other. And we're being sanctified, and one day we will be glorified. And so we live right now to, to reflect His glory.